In a world where everyone is looking for your money up front, doesn't it just make sense to check out a podcast that's looking to give you something for free? Like the music for your content and free music for your film and videos? Look no further. It's the Tim Kulig Free Music Podcast. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Tim Kulig Free Music Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Kulig, and this week we're doing two things. I've got a guest in the house, Thomas Edward Seymour. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Glad and to we're be also here. Re- we're also recording this via Zoom, so we will have this on my YouTube page, which is super, super freaking cool. So how's things going, man? Thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast tonight. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, things are going well. Uh, i got a number of creative projects, but I think ultimately we're here to celebrate uh, Mr. Tim Kulig uh breaking the 500 song barrier uh yes by two tunes (laughs) yeah 502 published songs uh royalty-free songs available for anyone to use i think it's incredible i'm gonna i'm gonna clap for you i know it's been uh several years in the making uh but you've uh cranked out some serious tunes this year man well i and a lot of my audience probably doesn't know this but you're a huge inspiration and an impetus for this whole thing. So, um, Thanks, man. you know, uh, background on it for some of you folks out there, uh, literally connected me with my mentor, Kevin McLeod, and I'm following in his footsteps. And the reason I'm doing it is because of the project we did on Kevin McLeod together. And it's just, it's just like to go back in time three, four years ago and to think, that like this is where I was going to be right now. I was going to have 502 songs published, music, pretty much all over the internet. Probably listened to at this point millions was, of times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, uh, I think the low side, low estimate, it's like maybe two, three million, but it could be you could potentially have you know, it's possibly 10 million uh, listens on all of your catalog. Um, it's very possible. Um, that documentary I did was called McLeod. There can be only one. Love and it. But about, about Kevin McLeod and because uh, I'm a big fan of Kevin McLeod and his music. And uh, but one of the parts of the documentary is it was like an attempt to try to crunch some kind of numbers on his catalog. And um we 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 had a sort of soft estimate like it, i think it was like we presumed um we had some weird statistic right something about 2% of the time uh a song could be used or something do you remember some of the math yeah on that? we we did it's funny I, i'm thinking back at the math a little bit and <clears throat> i know part of it was super conservative like you had recorded a bunch of stuff at one point that was saying like you know okay if we took one song and we just assumed like one tenth of one percent or something crazy like that it was we're su- actually it was using it low. yeah well um, it was like so just for the context we're talking yeah. about um songs that tim did or songs that kevin did uh in the doc it was you know uh, more about kevin in his catalog and it was just um trying to figure out what it so the amount of people we could track how many people listened and then how many people download it and that right. that data was like clear you could see it that was real data and so like 
for every um what it was something like for what every 100 listens it could be like four people downloaded right but then the 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 tricky math is that let's say it's four percent then that stuff we i cut it in half i said let's say only half you know let you download a song but you only use half the songs you downloaded which i think is a fairly reasonable assumption yeah because a, a producer will grab a batch of songs and think about oh well maybe i'll use this this or this they end up using one of them right yeah like, yeah you know so, so. if you and and, if, and then basically you do this weird multiplier you it's just a guess but the average still to this day in the entertainment category in youtube the average youtube video is like 8000 views and that's based upon the the videos that get several billion views and the videos that get like 100 views you know right. it all averages out to about 8000 but then you could take that 2000 and then multiply you take that 2% and multiply it by potentially 8000 anyway so it was like it definitely wasn't foolproof math but it was super conservative from a cloud but it easily put his listenership in the billions. Yeah. Yeah. And so if we use that, that, that same super conservative math with your stuff, you're in the millions, which it, it's pretty amazing. Um, Cause we were just talking about it. It's like it, I think it took you and I a little time to wrap our heads around just giving music away for free. Yeah. Obviously I yeah. enjoy, enjoyed using free music as a filmmaker, but I think for you, uh at some point i don't know what i i should throw it back to you when do you think you the that switch went off and you're like oh no like if i hold on to this catalog and put a paywall i'm i'm gonna get like a lim very limited uh listenership right if I right give it all for free and people use it in their youtube videos then i'll the sky's the limit you know yeah well i had started before I used DistroKid as my distribution network for all my tunes, I was using um, TuneCore, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> at the time, they had a model where, you know, it was like 50 bucks an album. So I did my first album with them. My, uh, this is yes. probably inverted on the screen. Wait, um, uh, pieces of Time. Oh, very yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, probably, it's probably reversed. But um, no, it looked good. There was like a, it was an EP, basically. It was like six tunes, and um, I hosted it on there. And you know, nobody was a couple of people bought it, you know. But you know, I, I at the time it was streaming some places, but I wasn't getting any traction with it. You know, yeah. I think there was some YouTube channel that they just posted it to, you know. Um, but like, it just it was kind of painful. It was like. 50 bucks an album like that's that's going to get expensive you know i better have yeah. like 30 song albums or whatever how many songs can i cram on an album each time yeah. you know it's like it's like what <clears throat> and then i stumbled across this distro kid thing and it's just amazing that like for 40 50 bucks a year you know for a single artist you can publish as many songs as you want i was like yes please let's do it this way like this is this is crazy and it went to like all the socials that like went it went to you know all the streaming sites all the socials and everything and i'm just like 
well, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, this is this is how it's going to work. Um, but around that time, we were talking about the doc for your MFA, the capstone that you had, you know, like yeah. your, your whole thesis there. And it was funny. It's like you planted that seed as we were like doing some rough edits and stuff. And you're like, you know, it might not be a bad idea to like do this. Cause like you want to get your stuff out there. Like maybe, maybe Kevin's got something here. Cause I mean, he's been around forever and he's still doing it. So it's clearly yeah. he's making money somehow. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, you know, that sounds really good. And then you do the interview with me for the, for the doc and it literally just dawned on me. I probably at that moment that I'm like, this is exactly what I think I should be doing. Like, why, it, why aren't I doing this? It's funny. Yeah. Like I, I actually <laughs> wanted to ask you, was it because when you, when I interviewed you for the doc, we had, we had talked a, a little bit about it. I, I thought it was like, you were fascinated by it. Um, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, what McLeod did was, was just awesome. Um, but I, I think maybe right at, during that interview, you were just because I remember a, asking a question back to you. I'm like, wait a minute, you're, oh, you're going to do that. You're like, I'm doing it. And like, literally in that documentary, you're like, oh, oh no, I'm doing this. Yeah. And I think like you'd seen enough information on it and just was like, why not? Like, yeah, you know, um, like the opportunity to have people all over the world be able to hear your music and enjoy it and use it for various projects. I yeah, mean, there's it, there's people on YouTube now that I'll go and check out their videos and they're like what I like regulars, you know, they're yeah. people that come back to the places that I distribute stuff and grab the latest thing and they put it into their content. And I'm like, super sweet man it's awesome that you're using my stuff again i appreciate it very much and i'm like watching their videos so i'm i'm consuming some of their content while also you know giving them some gratitude about using the stuff and it's like a win-win man it just it's so much fun and they're very gracious that you're even stopping by their channel i think it's i think that's freaking cool you know it's an all-around thing like i like helping content creators and i love having them come back and be like Man, it's so great you came and checked out my, you know, what I'm what I'm putting out there and what I'm doing. I'm like, absolutely. What how people interpret what I what I make and how they're going to use it in the video is just so unbelievably like rewarding for me. There's things I've written that I'm like, oh, this is totally for a horror or like some sci-fi thing. And then they use it for like some some uh gameplay video, like playing some PS5 game or like a PC based game. I'm like, dude, I never would have thought to use it for that, but it looks awesome. Like it sounds awesome. It like it, you know, works with the video and everything. It's just, it's oh, real yeah. cool stuff. Well, I, I mean, I like as a, as a, a film director who's used your stuff. Well, you, you've composed original scores for my uh, feature like films over the years. Yeah. But um, that, type of thing it, it sort of has this like christmas feel like you you find a song you find the right song or you find a fascinating song you're like holy shit i'm going to use that yeah. the fact that there's high utility in it 
and then you can use it to enhance your own film projects. What that does is it it makes a connection. It's a very weird thing because um, like 06, 07, when we were at Black 20, we were using Kevin McCloud's music. And when we were on the site, Computech, we're like, we're like, this is actually free. You know, we're looking through, we look at the Creative Commons. Creative Commons, I think, was existed in 06. But whatever his life, generic license was, I was like, we were like, oh, we can actually use this stuff. And this stuff had a lot of character, you know, and it what it does is it it when you place it in stuff that you shot and cut, it creates this weird uh you can't call it relationship because that's fucking weird because you don't know who the composer is really. Yeah. But there's a real um, attachment you get to the music catalog, you know, because like you put it in something, you put it in a film that you spent years on. Right. And right. So, so with your music, you know, uh, it, there, there's a feature length horror film that uh, Tim produced and then I directed uh, and and uh, you had done some original tunes for that, but some of the stuff I had also pulled from your catalog because it was just so unique. I was like, "Can we use this?" You're like, "Yeah, you know." And that stuff is, um, you almost get like territorial about it. Like, "Oh, I, I, you know, I used I used that tune and tune in my movie years ago." You know, right? But, you right. know, you know, everyone did too. But you know, um, so there's this weird thing. Uh, that's an editor's mentality too um i don't think we've ever had this conversation with so this is fascinating to me oh okay yeah 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 yeah. but no there's a weird connection i mean that happens with editors too like if you edit a scene sometimes you feel like you know the actor and it happens that i i do in all cases but right um, right (laughs) but but it's a weird thing um you you see all their the the um the nuances in their performance and you feel like you know them better right you know and that may or may not be true <laughs> but it's a fascinating thing you know yeah yeah i could i guess like after hearing you say it it makes sense that like if you're if you've gravitated towards a catalog and like at this point you know having you know been involved with and dealing with kevin's music for years now and also, you know, working directly with him, the the interesting thing about his stuff is that I can just hear something in a video online now, and I'm like, oh, that's totally him. That this has got to be part of Kevin's catalog. I'm like, I'll look it up, and I'll be like, sure enough, you know. I'm like, oh yeah, well, that's that's an obscure title, but it, there's little lines I I know the way he plays now, so it's like, oh yeah yeah yeah, that that definitely is McLeod esque, you know. I'm like. Yeah, 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 but you're you're you know you have that too. Um, you're you're starting to some of your tunes are coming off and uh, they're popping up. And um, I think one is like creepy piano of yours, where you're <laughs> like, and I'm sh- I'm sure McCloud's the same way. Where you're like that that fucking thing is you know you know like that fucking song's popular. I'm like, yeah, it is because it because it's the high utility, you know. Yeah, it, it works. Um. And then I love the one I did this series uh, or you helped produce and it was Monster Kill, uh, the series Monster Kill we did for Trauma Entertainment. Um, and uh, it was like a the, contest, right? Wasn't there like a 
contest around it or something well yeah I, I i wanted to be like uh, i put on my roger corman producer hat and i i meant we got some raised a couple grand from indie go go so i would was giving like 500 dollars to one filmmaker make me a 10 minute make me a 10 minute film called flying snake attack right and they did that make me a, a my wife stephanie perez came up with uh merminators from outer right. space she's like here's 500 dollars. make me a 10 minute merminator film and they all had weird names. Ken Powell made Groom of the Bigfoot. And then um, I forget the last one. Um, Wish Death 2 was one instead of Death Wish. It was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. It, like there was something. Yeah. Like the, the world was coming to an end or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you did some music for that. And uh, um, yeah. I so... think all the, all the episodes. Yeah. All the episodes. And then the in, like the in-betweens that had... Um, Maggie, right? Wasn't yeah, was yeah. It, Margaret yeah. Rose Champagne from the yeah. Amy Schumer show and all this stuff. Yeah, and so we got we actually got some pretty cool. Sean Phillips was in, did a cameo and flying. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so we had, you know, I had a few directors doing these uh, shorts, and uh, but I just one of the songs, a few of the songs I was listening to them, and I, I think my comment too at the time was like, "This music is." too good for these films you know <laughs> because they were but they were desi- they were that was part of it they were supposed to be um very um uh well they're no, like they're no budget you know right so they're 48 hour film festival slash no budget right yeah yeah like you're yeah. literally given like not they had more time than 48 hours but like the this the premise is the same it's like literally uh, how you know yeah, what are like, you going to do with whatever resources you have? Yeah, to make and, this, I, you know, I want to see what a, a five hundred dollar Bigfoot movie looks like, you know, so right that kind of thing. Um, and but there was one tune we used. There's a a trailer. Par- the opening is like a trailer park uh, scene with yeah. uh, the it was double dementia and Maggie Champagne, and um, I used the same same Tim Kulig song for every freaking every beginning and every end and it was like something like creepy core or something it was, it was a really some weird whiny like, yes like, like halloween thing yeah yeah, yeah. and i um, love that tune and that's one of the other popular ones i think it was maybe just called creepy choir or something i forget but yeah um like well, that becomes a blur especially since i kind of focus on horror stuff you know I, i'll do i think my catalog probably so far exists with about a hundred or so of those style tunes, you know? Yeah. So, um, and there's more to come this year. I've absolutely can't wait to make, to make more horror beds and everything. I've got a couple new pieces of software that I'm just itching to, to build, but I promised myself this last publication I did. I'm like, dude, you you just broke 500. I'm like, just enjoy the holidays. It's it's incredible. I mean, that's a, Uh, that's a short list of human beings. Uh, that have done that you know i mean statistically it's very rare like maybe are maybe there are like a thousand people in the history of of humanity that had you know published over 500 songs but statistically it's like it's got to be like almost one in a million i don't i don't know what they you know yeah you know maybe one and a half a million or something but it's pretty rare i know i did i did some research on it uh not that long ago. And one of the things that I found was that I think the 
world record Guinness holder was something like 35,000 tunes. And it was some woman. And I don't know if she was in the States or in Western Europe or something, but they, she literally wrote like ton, like wrote and like published, I think even like that's, that's what's crazy to me. Um, but like yeah, but, said, but that but that happens though. Like yeah. let's say the number one person quite often is very far ahead of the number two person. And you're like, what? Yeah, no. yeah. So that that definitely ha- you know, you think of like Michael Jordan. Like Michael Jordan was way he was ten times better than any player, you know. Yeah, you look at the normal curve and like yeah. this side being like the absolute top percentile and this being low, it's like it's like whoa, and like they're way over here. Like the like completely off the scale. Like, yeah. Yeah. Super, super outlier, you know, but I would say that, you know, you know, having a couple, like any major, like the stones, like the rolling stones, I'm sure they've written hundreds of tunes over the years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those, those bands that have stayed together for 40, 50 years, if they've put out an album every other year that has 10 to 15 tracks on it, you're gonna you're gonna have a catalog, you know. You're gonna have a catalog of tunes. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, they they say like they say Prince, you know, Prince had like a dozen albums just filed away somewhere that we'll probably never get to hear. You know, sucks too. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, because you know they're nasty. You know, you know they're really cool. But I mean, he wrote whatever. and performed. I think all of Purple Rain. So, or, or at least he wrote it all. You know. Um, yeah. So, and that was like back in the early eighties because that movie came out in like 82, 84, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was all his, it's all scored by his music, you know? Um, yeah. That guy was I, remarkable. I, I really regret never going to one of his concerts. He's, I, yeah. I think I, I would, I hope like over time people will like, obviously he's, he's a mega superstar, but people like, they don't realize that he may have been the best guitarist who ever lived like there's yeah. all this stuff it's so weird that like he, he's a huge deal but like um his peers even you know even eric clapton you know some interview was like how does it feel to be the best guitarist he goes he goes go ask prince he's like he's basically saying i'm not it this guy <laughs> is you know best living guitarist at the time you know yeah um, um so but yeah all those bands like you know beatles they you remember they put out an anthology and i think they they found a few unpublished tunes the beatles did and they you know so who knows how much uh lost music there is you know yeah well that's another thing too um i had older like daws digital digital audio workstations that i used like pro tools and there's like at the time i had that I probably wrote 150, 200 tunes. Most of those are lost forever. You know, I just literally moved on to another, you know, writing medium logic from the Apple, you know, environment. And, and I lost all that. And there's like two times during high school when I was writing constantly, even though that was all MIDI and I had to play it back and record it analog style you know such Um, a pain in the aspect thing god it sucked it absolutely sucked but even like twice i had hard drives die on me you know and i had written again 
hundreds of things. So, well, I do, I do think it it takes a certain um it absolutely takes a certain technical acumen. Like, you have to be in order to do what you're doing. The re, the it is getting easier as technology is getting um easier to use, but the the truth is you not only have to be have the right mental attitude to be able to crank stuff out uh, and have the the right um, uh, drive to do it. Mm. You need to be a highly skilled technician to be able to master these and crank them out. Um, and then you have to be uh, in that way. You In another way of being a technician, you have to be musically a, a technician. I understand that you can fix a lot of stuff. But hmm. I can, I am like uh, a very amateur keyboard player. I did it mostly in my youth. I could never crank out tunes the way you guys do um, because it's uh, my timing isn't as sharp. My, my technical piano playing is uh, flawed and, uh, and I, I don't have that drive in that way with music, you know. So it, it, anyway, and I'm not trying to downplay myself, but there's just a there's a whole bunch of boxes that need to be checked. Yeah. To have uh, a Tim Kulig or to have a Kevin McLeod. It's not just one thing, you know. Yeah. Well, that's generous of you. I appreciate that. Uh, the uh, Some of my biggest tools are quantization and some of the technical playing, like like. I can hear in my head the way it's supposed to come out, you know, the like like the timing of the notes and everything. And even if I have to play several parts of the song, several different subset ways, I'll capture it that way just because I'm like, I can hear this part and I want it to sound exactly like this. And I just want to focus on that right now, you know, and yep. then I'll run it through a, you know, an eighth note, a sixteenth note quantization filter to be like, all right, I, I need to tighten that up a little bit because I know the fastest note is about that. So I'm going to tighten that up. And if something's slightly off, I'm going to pull it around so it'll sound the way I want it to. So I guess I guess I guess I still do a little more step editing than I thought I did, because I, I will do that. Like I'll record it. And I'm like, that's not exactly how I intended it. But the other notes are nice and tight. So I want to bring this one in you know, a little different. And there's times I don't use quantization at all. Usually when I record something loose that I like it as loose as it is, you know, and I'm just like, hey, it's got a feel that I think I'm going to lose by quantizing it. And the good thing about that too, is that modern DAWs like Logic, they don't, it's non-destructive. So when you quantize it and move the notes around, you're not actually doing any kind of destruction. It'll just, if you take the quantization off, it'll just go back to the first thing you recorded. Yeah, which is awesome. Cool. Yeah, know? so th I think there's a lot of things you're you're doing, and and not to uh, not to uh, you know blow, blow you full of smoke too much, but like, <laughs> there there is a thing with uh, the, like so I I think I probably occasionally do this with filmmaking is that like if I try to sound. Uh, Personally, if I try to sound philosophical or smart about filmmaking, I usually don't. But if I talk casually about it with someone I, I'm I'm uh, comfortable with, I sometimes I'll say something and be like, "Oh, what 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 did you say about that?" You know, and, and uh, so 
my point is i think with with uh musicians like you and mcleod and stuff like that is that like i'm not saying you take your intelligence for granted because i don't think you do but there is there is a there's a lot of high functioning that is going on that mm. maybe um i'm not saying things are easy for you but something <laughs> th- some things are easy for you because you've gotten um because of the training and and the discipline over the years. Right. Right. I I see what you're saying. Like I'll make a leap from a to G and most people don't know, don't know B through F. You know what I mean? They have no idea what those steps are, but I just do it subconsciously. I just know that like, okay, I need to have all this stuff in a row. This is the part I'm stuck on. It's like, how do I make this transition to here? When, 98% 98% of the song is done. It's literally like, oh, I, I captured everything I needed to. It's just a matter of transitions and what well, I'm yeah, happy it's, with, it's, you know? It's that kind of thing where you're like, where you're like, oh, well, I just I just did this, this, and this, and this because this was my real problem. And, and a lot of people are like, what the fuck did you, what did you do there? <laughs> oh, no, that's nothing. That's this. And, that. and you're like, what? You know, yeah. so it's that kind of thing where um, uh, that's just, people who have been doing it for a long time and, and love it and have a, have it. It's, I don't know, even know if it's about aptitude necessarily, but it's it just, as long as you have that drive and that passion, you know? Yeah. You, I think, you... I think you're right. I think, I think, you know, you start, you get into patterns in the creative process, especially with something that is, I mean, math and music are, are, very synonymous with each other, you know. Cousins, and I don't know. Was that was that? <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 yeah, they're very close cousins, if not brother sister. You know, it's it's uh, so uh, the way you think about both of those things is very similar. Uh, even though, from an art perspective, a creative perspective, everybody always thinks, or people often think, rather, not everybody, but people often think that there's this looseness and this like casualness that encompasses creating art when in fact there's a lot of discipline and a lot of like repeating path patterns to capture the thing that you want to capture. Right. I have specific patterns I go through with patch selection and, you know, noodling around associated with cinematic scores as opposed to my glitch stuff or, uh, you know, eight bit, video game sounding things or the lo-fi album I just released that's coming out on Monday, the 18th, you know, uh, there's very specific patterns I put in place to get into that creative mindset and that creative space. Because if I didn't have, if I didn't have an idea of what the template was supposed to be or like where to start or what sounds to have, I, I would just be here wasting hours you know, not understanding, you know, where to even begin, but, you know, having, having some of that, that I guess it's like a pre setup. Like it's not necessarily like even templated, uh, you know, uh, project files that I select or anything like that. In some cases I do and like it just for efficiency purpose, but you know, a lot of times I'll bring in a blank project file and load it in real time, knowing what tracks kind of tracks I'm going to need for say lo-fi as opposed to a cyberpunk album, you know? Um, But I guess that that saves a ton of time and frees up a lot of thinking for the creative aspect of it and not about the 
administrative, like technical part of it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's like, that'll kill your, that that's not that different from video editing. Okay. It's like all your, you know, all your footage and all your files uh, before you start editing have to be incredibly ordered and, and, and labeled and the project has to be set up a certain way. And then, uh, and then you can begin editing and th right. that's when the creating uh, can happen. But if you don't, if you don't set things up properly um, or if the computer itself is having a problem, then um, it's, it's these really annoying hurdles that get in the way of actually producing and creating anything creative. And I think too, if you, you know, we're a man of a certain age, if you will. <laughs> um, but if you look back at some of the technical hurdles that you and I had to deal with, with uh, computers right back in the, we're talking essentially mid to late nineties by the time we're able to, let's say own a computer of our own and um, the extreme uh, limitations of the machines that the, the, how much they crashed take just taking into account like the thing the programs that we're putting on these things uh something like pro tools or or adobe premiere or something right and you know it's like forcing uh this antique computer to to use this um uh, artistic software and oh yeah uh, i just had so many sleepless nights uh my some of my earliest feature length films were just just awful not having enough hard drive like having to edit the first third of the film and like uh we had stuff backed up on tape but essentially having to erase the raw footage and then doing the second part erase oh my the god raw that must have been i didn't realize how extreme that was that must have been like your heart sinks like my god if this gets ruined yeah i mean it you was know? it was awful i mean there were nights too like in the early days you were like um you had to dump stuff on um like beta sp from a pc computer so you're going to like hb communication and try to rent the deck and so anyway it was you know nervous breakdowns you know oh god and then you're doing this shit and you're like does anyone fucking care? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you're just doing this stuff. But anyway, so um, so by the time it gets to now, like I don't know about you, but like you have a you know various computers, but you have a, a nice Mac Studio, and I have a beautiful Mac Mini, and, and I'm like delighted by the reliability of some of these things. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, you know? and the the affordability of supplemental backup systems. I mean. I have I have my song files in three places. Yeah. yeah. Right? I have it like on a thumb drive. I have it on a backup hard drive. Um that's in the that's the uh the studio um USB like little thing it sits on, right? Like I, I think I told talked to you about that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a, a extra hub or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it also houses like two other chips. One's an extension of the actual physical hard drive of the computer. The other one I use as a backup for my songs for a third place. You know what I mean? Like it's like literally, literally 
how many ways can I save these things? Because that that shit's never happening to me again. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm, I'm gonna have project files all over the place. Like I don't throw out, I don't throw out old my old Macs anymore. Like I have no. two iMacs. One is a backup computer over here and another station to do you know recording at, and the other's in my closet, and that represents like 20 years of things. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, and I have various like little thumb drives in in drawers in this office and i'm like i'm never throwing those out because there's project files on there at some point sometime like i may have to go back to and i'm just gonna be like why did you throw out you had space for it do not launch it do not get rid of it you know? yeah <laughs> yeah and if you if the thing um <laughs> if an imac breaks down on you especially the older ones um and like you're worried about stuff being on that drive. Like you don't want to just throw it in the garbage can and you don't have the specialized tools, man, you had to like destroy that thing with an ax. Oh yeah. Because it was like, you know, the clear you, one, right. The yeah. one that had like, <laughs> still had the CRT monitor. Coming yeah. Out. It's like, like that one you had to like literally pull like a office space and like smash it on the ground <laughs> and like break yeah. it, you know, kill that, kill that hard drive, you know, but uh, no, I mean, it's, um, yeah. So anyway, um, but I mean, all that stuff, I think, builds resilience. I, I think about that stuff, too. Um, you know, I have um, a great computer now, office, you know, awesome uh, Blackmagic camera and all this stuff. And it's like um, the tools that I have now are more powerful than. Um, I mean, let's say 20 years ago um which is 2000 which is crazy yeah um my, my 4k black magic camera where i can shoot in apple pro res raw or apple pro res like hq 4k yeah i'm like dude like that's better than george lucas had that's like, crazy uh, you know what i mean like so it's it's really like um that's crazy yeah so anyway but in regard to music though no, it's like um I I think it's cool. You're really like embracing the the tools that you have now, and uh, and cranking all out all the stuff. And so, man, five hundred, dude, you smashed it. Smashed, smashed right it. That. Let's see what's the so what's next. My big thing is like well, onward and upward to the next five hundred and a race to a thousand. You know, a race um, to be... a thousand, man. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I'll be happy with breaking 700 next year to be honest but is um, there any uh friendly competition in the space i know you know mcleod's got the brass ring yeah she, um you know our mutual friend from norway alexander nakarada uh is rapid he's he's following in his in kevin's footsteps as well so he's uh he's totally trying to get as much into the four digit club as possible as well so i i, I think that's awesome um i always yeah, joke with him that uh you know we're part of a uh common thread on discord and i know when a new track is coming out because he'll use the uh mid journey in there and uh, all of a sudden like i'll see his username and it's like you know these images are coming up i'm like oh alex is releasing another tune this week what's what's it gonna be like what's the image look like i'm like oh it's heavy metal goth all right (laughs) it's like like, yep there's gonna be some quintessential uh riffs because he's an awesome guitarist he's like 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 on just 
those off awesome like uh like orchestral like metal riffs and stuff like just really cool he'll do that some orchestral stuff some celtic like all sorts of it's just really cool stuff big yeah. plug for you alex <laughs> oh man that's a and that the scandinavian musicians are just insane man like the whole yeah. area but just like the the culture and how, what stuff comes out of there yeah. craziest films come out of there uh you know craziest music you know it's uh it, it it's really amazing yeah um but uh uh, on a side note, uh, slightly self-indulgent, but so yes. VHS Masker documentaries, which you, you scored both of them, um, uh, for those who don't know, they um, they not only got a, were celebrated in New York Times in this summer in July, like um, glowing reviews, but um, those two docs, uh, at least according to IM, IMDb this week in regard to popularity, VHS Massacre 2 is the number one um, documentary on the video store era. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then v- that's VHS 2. And then VHS 1 is the number three. And so I really think you could make the case that they are the most uh, uh, popular because that, that was the category. Um, there's different ways you can slice IMDb. Yeah. Most popular, highest voted, all stuff. Right, right, right. In almost the, all those categories, it's top ten, but popularity, it's part, it's one in three. So I think you can make the case that we're the most popular documentary series. That's on pretty the wild. Video story era, yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. That's that's amazing. It's um, a little specific. I, I'll admit, it's a little specific, <laughs> but that's what it is. It's a special yeah. interest doc, you know. Well, it's. I think the authenticity came through for both of us because, shit, we grew up in that era. You know, both of us either on a full time or at least a, at the very least a part time basis moonlighted in video stores in our 20s. We, yeah. That's just what we did. You know, I mean, you had a family member that owned several and uh, a good friend of mine as well that owned that owned those. Uh, and then like by extension, other like extended family that got us into it in the first place, you know, with their stores. And it's just like. You know, like we lived clerks. People are watching clerks, you know, and think it's this amazing movie. And it's like, well, it's so much funnier to us because we experienced all that. Yeah. That all was like near and dear to us, you know. I think I think you I think you made me watch clerks. I'm I was thinking about it. I'm pretty sure. Really? I'm pretty sure you were like it was fun stuff video store in Southington across from Kevin's comics. Yeah, and I was like, I don't know about this, and I think you were like, fucking watch it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and then <clears throat> other ones like El Mariachi, I think that was more like, I did not do that. Mike Aransky, and yeah, yeah, that might have been Aransky. Because I don't remember seeing that whole movie. For some reason, I feel like that's a movie I have to go back and revisit. Like either I watched it, and it was so long ago I don't recall. You know, because yeah. I'm not I, honestly, I'm not really into. It's like a western, right? Like kind of like a. Yeah, it, like a, it, it, it's uh, but yeah, it's based in, it's an it's an action movie based in Mexico about mariachis, but it definitely has a, it definitely has that flair for that sure. That Western vibe, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more contemporary, but it absolutely um, uh, has that that vibe because it's it's there's standoffs and all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, uh, but anyway, yeah. It is funny, like um, how we 
came up through that time and uh how we educated ourselves and how we you know all all this weird stuff but to think about it coming from that like but essentially central connecticut where absolutely nothing was going on in the film industry <laughs> and no it no. was you know two hours to new york two hours to boston and this was a dead spot and no one really made independent films they really didn't um no there were some film clubs in connecticut and i think in some regards like associations and like you know amateur slash professional yeah folks getting together there was a group down in new london uh, i don't yeah, know how that, active they are still yeah that stuff um, yeah yeah i i should say that stuff absolutely emerged but i would i would say that probably emerged from the mid 90s into the late yeah. 90s right yeah but i think and there was we a were... big tick up because um uh who was the actor that played uh hellboy um, oh ron, ron perlman yeah he was involved with some company that was going to get started based out of new york that was looking to go into the new london area and start building studios and they were like mm-hmm. they were like lobbying the state of connecticut for you know these tax incentives like hey you know bring up there's beautiful places for us to shoot in the state plus you give us tax incentives and we'll bring work here and we'll bring you know hollywood like it's just uh atlantic coast hollywood and blah 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 you know and it's something just some legislator or something just got poo-pooed about the whole thing and it just went it just died into yeah. the toilet. was that sonalist or something there was something yeah it was down i think down near the coast yeah yeah but i mean i i think yeah i mean like basically uh post el mariachi and clerks a lot of stuff started to pop up yeah but yeah. i mean i'm i'm thinking more of like being a uh, freshman or sophomore in high school I'm just realizing like like A we were broke like no right. one had any fucking money <laughs> and then knowing that you wanted to make films or make music and just having to um, fight to do that against the backdrop of just um, you know I mean you had two or three different jobs you know um, right. I was you know working at Wendy's and that, that kind of stuff where the hope for being like a professional creative was it wasn't really realistic when when we were growing up right you know? right it was rare uh you know but a lot of it too was like we were building other things we wanted to do this and build this but it was like we wanted to do it our own way. We didn't want to do it the Hollywood way where you have to go out to LA and, you know, spending, you know, enormous amounts of time, energy, and money starving yourself working, you know, two, three other jobs, you know, in between, you know, if it was acting, it doesn't really matter. I mean, acting, you know, getting a, a, you know, producer gig or some back end gig, you know, you still have to be available at all different times for those opportunities, you know, and it's a lot of who, you know, and just, you know, a lot of nepotism, yeah. you know, and it's just, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's hard too, because like you're, you know, depending on the, the discipline you're picking, like you're, you're for filmmaking, filmmaking is 
especially at that time, uh, no, like no budget filmmaking really only came out of uh, um, cheap nonlinear editing. Right. Because right. previous to that, you were shooting on film and um, 16, if you wanted to be taken seriously. Yeah, you know. and you transfer to that, and then we use the earliest form of rear to cut. But previous to that, I was uh shooting on VHS because that's like whatever grandma's camcorder that no one wanted to use. Right, right, right. You do that you uh borrow borrow your friend, you know, Phil Garrett's VCR. He brings his VCR. I use my VCR, and we 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 make these really primitive edits. Right. That's how that's how I learned to edit because no one had any fucking money. But like <laughs> um but but previous to that, I mean it was all cutting on film. I mean there was right. super super eight, but super eight was uh people didn't cut on super eight that much. They mostly shot a roll of three and a half minute film. Right. And developed it, maybe screened it, you know, and then yeah, later, super like, like super short, you know, yeah. like super shorts. Yeah. So, you know. Um, really was like the nonlinear editing was the thing that and, and I, I thought about this too there was like um, you could edit at public access TV which I, I did but they'd want to air what you showed like so it wasn't, right. you couldn't sit there and make a, a 90 minute film and cut there for months and months and then not air it you know so yeah. you, you know you really couldn't do it so um, and then recording music was like um, our the high school that we went to Plainville High. Um, they actually had a booth and everything, right? It was there was well, a keyboard area. We never recorded there. Um, we all end up we always ended up going off site for that. Um, we had a you know uh, a whole PA system and everything. We had like practice practice rooms and stuff that were noise isolated. But for the real recording, um, it, it, it just blew my mind. The, the freshman year of high school, uh, we took a handful of cover songs and then um, two or three originals, right? And one of them was mine as a freshman. And we went to New Haven to a freaking mansion. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Happens wow. to be Ace Freely, Ace Freely's studio. Right. And it was the most craziest place. This guy, uh, Vic. Um, oh, man, it's like uh, Vic, Vic from or Vic. What, what was his last name? Man, I'm sorry if he ever hears this thing and I forgot his name. But uh, um, John Smeda, our teacher, our, ma- our, our high school, not math, our, our high school music teacher. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was very good friends with this guy. And this guy basically. I, whether John paid for it, like at a discount or I never even asked him about that. I, I took John out years ago to, for like dinner once, like catch up with him after being out of high school for 10 years. And I always wondered, I'm like, how did we afford to like do the, Oh wait, when we sold the albums the f- next year, when we went to, to stu- the studio, it helped pay for the studio. So oh, that's how sell, that's... sell them around the school to the parents and stuff. Like yeah. That? And so, we use oh. it as a fundraiser to like, Incredible. To be able to do the next year recording studio. So it's like, it was always like the big year end thing we did, you know? Um, it literally, it was like off time. It was like 
like a like a three day weekend or something when it was like really downtime for the studio to do anything and they'd just make time for us, which is just awesome. But I mean, who gets to do that? You know, yeah, that's just yeah. that was just so awesome. You know, yeah, it is to true. this day. It's just one of the best experiences I ever had musically. You know, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's uh it's very interesting. The just the the uh, I don't know the line of you know our lives and coming up through all the different uh, uh, technologies. But I think you know our, our not to make it generational because uh, you know it's not that much meaning in it. But um, I do think we've been able to transition from kind of roll with varying um, and new uh, technologies and stuff. Oh like yeah, that, you know what I mean. I could say personally that um, as far as AI is concerned and some of the AI, you know, assistance, language models, image generators, and more more likely even more so down the future, some of the music generation stuff, even like all those are going to be tools I use going forward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the image generation, um, you know, some of the stuff I wrote, you know, I wrote a script and then I had to generate images like, you know, it, it's you. You'd spend you could spend like a couple hours um, getting a usable image, and then right. generated by uh, Midjourney or something. And then even still, you take it to Photoshop, and you you have to change some of the color palette and stuff like that. So yeah, it's definitely um, it's a tool for what you want to do. Um, and in regard to AI. Um, talking with other college professors and stuff like that. It's like, and, and other people in the industry. Um, uh, I think the main thing is just, just to be, uh, just be upfront with it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And uh, like, I wrote the script. No, because it's the funny, the funny thing is I published that book. Um, Grand Fault false killings, which you wrote mm -hmm. the for you wrote the forward for. So thanks. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, in in it, I said you know, no AI was used in the writing of the script because it's right. very very important that people know that. But then I said, you know, the the images were uh, you know generated with uh, Mid Journey with uh, additional you know manual manipulation or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. just you know, just be straight up honest about what it is. You know. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the important thing and. I think it's fine. You know? I think it is. But <clears throat> that goes back to like other things, like where people, it, people are going to question what is and isn't art, regardless of what tools come out. Case yeah, in point, sure. case in point about that is, um, you know, there's, uh, I just, I just had one. It, it, there was something visual. Oh, painters, right? Hmm. There's various style of painters, um, one of them being, uh, there's an American painter that used to project a uh, Norman Rockwell. He used to project the image onto a canvas and then paint what he wanted. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Some people would say that that's cheating, right? Or you don't know perspective. So what you did is you projected it, blah, blah, blah. He still has to render the image. Like it oh, still yeah. has to look amazing, you know, like it yeah. still has to look like, like, something that you want to be and, and the color palette that they use and the color theory they understand and the way that 
you know, the composition and everything. Like it's they, they still need to know all those other things to make it appealable on a level where somebody wants to consume that art, you know? Yeah. Well, I think some of the Renaissance painters would, um, they'd have a room with a single point letting light in and it would create a projection. Yeah. And yeah. they would, you know, so they did it. I mean, they did that 300 years ago. So, right. You know, so. Right. <clears throat> yeah. It, it's, uh, it's still your interpretation, regardless of what tools you use. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I just think that that's that's some that's a wall that for some people is a permanent barrier. It'll never come down. But mm -hmm. for others that kind of move and flow with the times and and with the materials and the tools that are available to create and be artistic, um, like the idea that somebody could generate music through some tool that doesn't otherwise have you know a strong background in theory or mm -hmm. a strong understanding of of the way that you put music together in general is just kind of freaking awesome to me because people that don't like it may fall into a category where they're just doing a lot of loops and you know making these like club beats and stuff like that but there's plenty of DJs that do exactly what I'm saying right now. Yeah. And they're very well renowned and like, like appreciated and they have their own releases and remixes that they release and make plenty of money on, you know, well, that, and it's like, know, they never the, wrote a single part of it, you know? Yeah. Well, that the best equivalent I can, I, I can think of that. And about other people have said this too, is like, um, collage, right? Right. So certainly, you know, so you can do collage and certain fine artists can look at collage and say, well, you know, it's slightly lower art form. You know, it could be snobby about it. But um, the finest collage is better uh, than most fine art, you know. So, and, right. And I'm not saying it's not fine art, but collage is different. You know, let's say you're taking photos from magazines, but yeah, well, that could be incredible. You know, and and so, um, well, it's just like found object art. You know what I mean? Some people, yeah, think that's, yeah. Some pe people think it's garbage. Like there's a there's an uh, withering up orange in the center of the room, and they want fifteen grand for that because they've been doing found art object stuff for fifteen years, and you know they're well renowned or whatever. And like somebody will snub their nose at it or whatever. I'm like, well, if somebody appreciates it enough to spend fifteen, like that's their business. That's their yeah. You know. There's always going to be that. There's always going to be that uh, blurry line between bullshit and and, and fine art. And <laughs> right. and I, I find myself um, being very pragmatic with it. And uh, um, because who am I, right? Yeah. The same yeah. reason. The same reason. I took your and Kevin's advice about just publish it, just get it out there, is the same. You know, answer to a question that I keep bringing up in podcasting with people. And I, I think it's just like to reinforce it. It's that I don't get to tell people what they like, you know? So yeah. I just have to make it yeah. and see what resonates with people. And yeah. in some cases I'm making it for me and me alone. Anyway, I just hope it resonates with people, but it's like, like this recent thing, like the lo-fi tunes. I'm like, I never done those. I'm like, and they're fucking great. Some dude. Of those. I'm like, Thanks, man. I'm, the lo-fi stuff is like, because I, I like that stuff, you know, like uh, uh, bands like Tycho and other other this they do this real like real chill stuff. Yeah, but but um, engaging, 
and and fascinating you know and that stuff and i'll just listen to that you know so um that stuff's great but it's uh yeah we have these this interesting relationship i think with with music like we can be or art in general you could be snobby about it you could be uh, relaxed about it but i think uh you know um i do think as a musician it's incredibly difficult to try to make a connection with people on the internet absolutely I, i think i think giving it away and allowing people to have use it as a utility in a weird way allows this deep connection that would never have uh, existed otherwise, you know? So it's a, it's a wonderful thing, you know? Yeah. And I think it's got, it's a different place now than say 20, 30 years ago for a couple different reasons. There's more content than ever online through numerous social media sites and there's this drive to have you know new unique sounds all the time because there's just so much being consumed online that there's really no other way to propagate your music right now that's better than to put it in the hands of creators and be like i don't want anything like this i'm doing this for you and I'll find other ways, but like well, could, this, could, this is, you know what I mean? Because think, well, think about the alternative. The inter, uh, the alternative is this like record label brute force. Yep. Like 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 um, uh, advertising based, uh, uh, money funded pushing of music through right. Uh, pay-to-play radio uh probably pay-to-play spotify i don't know how that works but that kind of thing where it's this sort of brute force pushing of uh this is the new thing and we want you all to listen to it you know right and there's a there's a deep rejection of that and that's just evidenced by the state of the record industry altogether you know Mm -hmm. um and you hear a song and sometimes you're like, oh, brother, okay, you you just, you want us to listen to this stuff. And there's a, and I, to some degree, I get it. it. It's sort of a Darwinism, right? It, you yeah. need to make it, the stuff on the radio is like, it needs to be catchy. So it's hyper simplest, simplistic to the point of uh, immediately annoying, you know? Right, so, right. So, um, if you like i think too like that's not an appetizing game to play and people like me and you can't we can't do that we can't bankroll that no 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 i can't Uh, i don't think i don't think there's any way i could possibly have gotten into the hands of as many people as I have in as short a period of time as I have. I, like that would have taken me 20, 25 years in traditional, if at all, you know, or, or maybe never. Yeah. It, it It's like, um, you, I mean, you think about like, there is a billion dollar business trying to make, and it, this is, this is also what's fascinating too. So you and McLeod, right? This idea that 
McLeod is probably more popular than Beyonce. Right. In, in the fact that's I'm not I'm not saying that to be divisive. Pick another person if you want to. Uh, who else is popular? Uh, I don't oh, know. J Lo. J Lo, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, J Lo might be more popular. I don't know. But but <laughs> let's say uh, but let's say McLeod has been li- technically listened to more than J Lo, right? It's yeah. very possible. Right. Very possible because I, I was in. I think I was telling you I was at SeaWorld. Yeah, and they were, and they were playing, playing one McLeod, of their tunes. They were playing a McLeod tune. Yeah, you know, and so it's um, and a lot of the people I happen to listen to on YouTube use McLeod stuff, you know, but um, his personality is not promoted through PR or agency, right? Right. It, but his music is listened to probably, possibly more than any living, other living person right. on the planet due to. The way the internet works right and the right. way he's given it all for free yet he is not he is not per- personally promoted uh, as celebrity and it peels back i think the idea of celebrity a little bit mm-hmm. because you start to go like what the fuck yeah because what is it Mac- what is celebrity really is it just a marketing tool and nothing more yeah it's the yeah the the pitting of the 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 face uh with the music and and the that combination of sellability right Se- sexy looking girl sexy looking guy and pitted with the music we can yep. sell this as a package we can do yep. live shows familiar sounding voice you know just listen to a pop station today don't listen again come back in five years and guess what there's going to be songs on there that sound very similar to that which you heard like five years ago you know what i mean yeah Yeah, maybe there's some new sample that's popular with the kids these days you know (laughs) for drums or for some like electronic sample or whatever you know some like call out whatever but like it's pretty much the same you know um, yeah so it's really like a like, yeah definitely reality check of like what it what is uh what's actually happening yeah because that's, that's a that that reality check too going forward is like for me it's at like i never want to be that right like i never want to experience that feeling ever which is why i'm doing what i'm doing right but, yeah, I mean that you 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 might recoil at that. Like I don't I yeah. can't first of all I can't be that. Uh you know, obviously I can't. Yeah. You know, what I mean like <laughs> so I can, you know, dad over here. Uh uh you know, so there's like a reality to it. Um but uh but that you know that, that there's a wonderful point to that too is like the work that you the creative work that you do creative work that i do it is uh in the way it's maybe best of both both worlds because you know that millions of people have listened to you you know that your work is is respected and used and perpetuated throughout the internet yeah and you 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 your life has you not just for that I mean, the most important thing is family, but your art has utility and that's cool. Yeah. Um, maybe that's better than maybe that's better than celebration as utility. 
and uh, especially for men, right? Yeah, we yeah. Like the, you want to like know that. functionally, you're doing a thing, right? Yeah. Am you're I giving back? People? You're building something, helping people. Um, yeah, but you know, providing you, a service that's has value to somebody else. They feel like they <laughs> they feel like they got something more than yeah. they expected. Like to do that is like the utmost, like that's the biggest dopamine hit you could ever give me. You yeah. I mean? It's a good, it's a good thing to, to feel. And um, if you think about some of the other trappings of celebrities, like if you think of, uh, um, I, I heard an interview with Ben Affleck. We So not to get off on a tangent, but so we grow up, grew up in that era, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, they did um, Goodwill Hunting, right? Goodwill Hunting, yeah. and and that was inspiring, even though it was a multi million dollar film, and they went to Harvard and all this stuff. Like, right? Definitely, definitely not exactly what we thought it was, but um, but those guys, they were New England based, Boston based, and there was something about them that I to this day I connect with. Yeah, but like, um, but if you hear Ben Affleck talk about celebrity, like. <laughs> He fucking hates it, dude. <laughs> he wants to have nothing to do with it. And and as we're as we're you know solidly middle aged at this point, it's like oh shit, like oh I I don't want to have anything to do with that. Like right. I definitely want to like I want to be able to pay my bill, bills and live in a nice home, but I want to be able to go to Dunkin' Donuts and not be harassed. You know, right? So, exactly. So it's like. Uh, it really calls in the question, man. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, you and McCloud figured it out. <laughs> maybe, you re- maybe you really nailed it. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the 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 venue and the delivery, you know, structure of how we do what we do is such that you don't ever really ever need to come in contact with somebody. In fact, they don't even need to have a face to what's going on. Yeah. Maybe they don't even care. You know? Yeah. You know? They're like, no, I just, I, I just. I resonate with the music, so that's fine. You know, that's it. Yeah, at the end. Yeah, you know, and, the, probably... and, the, and if there are selfish people who are like, "Fuck that guy," I'm using his. You never fucking have. You definitely never have to hear from them. You know, so. right? Well, it's just yeah. like, <clears throat> you know, like the non-attribution, you know, extended license thing or whatever. It's you know, it's an honor system. Like, look, if you're gonna use it, just, just. Hook me up with just a, yeah, a, a modicum. My, yeah, the name of the song and who I am. Yeah, and just or, put it. Yeah, or throw me twenty bucks if you don't want to do that, and you can use yeah. it on anything. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just, just give me the courtesy of that. If I'm gonna give it away to you, at least let people know where they where you got it. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That's a small small price to pay if it's yeah, possible. You, know? you don't want to be anonymous because you do. You are a artist who has pride in your work so you 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 know that's that's the price it's just um if you use one of my tunes just put me in the credits that's it you know yeah yeah case closed not a big deal yeah no. so you know i'm sure there's people out there that have used it for commercial purposes or something at this point that should have th- tossed me a buck or two and it's like ah, whatever you know yeah at the I end mean, of the day uh, yeah you, you, it's it's true maybe you got um uh but uh but from know, every but, one of those tom from every one of those situations there's somebody that throws me some money on paypal and i'm like they didn't reference a tune 
who is this? Audrey Hinckley. Yeah. 40, you... 40 bucks. Like, what? <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> like, they're just like, you know, clearly used my music in a couple of projects or whatever and felt compelled to contribute to the cause, which I like. Thank you, everybody that's done that so far. I really appreciate it. It's a uh, um, incredibly gracious reminder that it's working, you know? It's, yeah. And that's really what this is all about. So I cannot wait to do the next 500 and beyond. My big push next year in 2024 is, like I said, to try to get as, you know, get around 700, get to 700. If I can go beyond that, great. But, you know, that's my that's my line in the sand. Like, like if I could do 50 tunes every quarter, I'll easily get there. But listen, you know, it might might get a little crazy one quarter and do a bunch of intros or, you know, <laughs> something Which like people fuck people yeah. fucking need. I will yeah. tell you, man. Podcast. Can I tell you like little and, and editing gigs or uh, uh, films or just at at work. And uh, uh, you would be surprised. Corporate videos, academic settings. People need intros and outros. They really yeah. fucking do. And yeah. I think, you know, maybe a musician might say like, oh, well, I don't want to just like crank out 50 and that's my 50. And I'll tell you, fucking do it because yeah. people will absolutely use it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So. Well, remind people some of your places. You're going to be back on here probably sooner than later. But, um, you know, oh, where plug, to go to? Plug, yeah. Plug, plug the movies, plug oh, your yeah. stuff. Okay, so, um, yeah, well, one of the cool things, Exorcism of Fleet Marish, distributed by MVD. Um, there's a, uh, if you want to keep it simple, on uh, YouTube, there's the Horror Channel, and it's currently streaming for free. It's got over 100,000 people have watched uh, Exorcism of Fleet Marish on there. But then it's also available on Tubi and Freebie. Okay. Um, the VHS Massacre Docs, VHS Massacre 1 and 2. Um, part 1 is on Peacock, which is a huge deal because that's NBC Universal. Um, and then Part 2, they're both on Tubi and yep. um, Prime, I believe. Um, and so um, that's a place where you could watch the VHS Massacre documentaries. They go from everything of the, uh, the, 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 um, rise and fall of physical media and the second one deals with more like um uh, what's happening with streaming services yeah as compared to the video store area so there's a lot of cool stuff and um in those docs and uh like i said new york times loved them and uh so i think it's definitely something worth uh checking out and then um social like like social what, yeah. a lot of it's branded vhs massacre so instagram vhs Massacre, it's vhs massacres twitter's vhs massacre tiktok is vhs massacre facebook is vhs massacre yeah so um check me out any any one of those places and friend me up sweet yeah <laughs> well thanks again tom seymour for being here for the 502nd song episode extravaganza and uh um yeah man it just uh i'm just kind of pumped you know i know we've got some projects coming up that will be able to use some of the stuff that i'm doing now and some of the stuff i'm going to be using or putting together in 2024 and beyond 
So uh, we just got to keep coming up with the projects, man. That's the whole, like, it just keeps this this train, this this creative creativity train going, you know? That, everybody out there that's taking this stuff and using it and going out there and checking out how people are utilized. Like, okay, there's like this drive for horror. There's this drive for this. That's going to be a big thing next year is like literally just figuring out what people have been searching for you know, the third and fourth quarter of 2023 and just boom, hitting the ground running with stuff that you want. So again, everybody, thank you so much for coming back and checking out Tim Kulig Free Music Podcast. See you next time.